Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Robert Toll, the author of a new book, which is an actionable playbook on how to think critically and navigate obstacles in both life and business, called Don't Be Dumb. Great title. Anyway, Robert is an incredibly interesting guy with a career to match. So let's just jump right into our conversation today. Okay, Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Alex. Glad to, glad to be here. Appreciate uh, the invitation. Yeah, you're on the other side of the country in Virginia, but you have uh, what sounds like a very interesting background, and now you're a big-time author. You've written a new book, a really fun title. Excited to hear um, all about that. But as we you know, usually do, I'd love to start off with you know, early in your um, in your trajectory of like you know when you started to be to, to become the uh, the person you are today. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting question, Alex. Uh, I was raised a uh, third generation uh, military brat, although my mom never liked the term. So I think early in my life, just moving from place to place quite frequently and learning and being exposed to new things is the beginning of who I am today. Is um, They did a really good job of teaching me to always look forward, not backward. It was a way of coping with the frequent moves. And um, that led me to sort of a mentality of what's next, you know, one foot in front of the other, overcoming obstacles, uh, making progress on things. So um, I've, I'm still on an average of once every three years and never the same place twice in my life. So uh, it gives you some ideas that I've, although I didn't join the military myself, my career has taken me all sorts of different places too. So kept that average up, although I think I may be done moving now, but Never say never. <laughs> I mean, I love it. That mentality of one foot in front of the other and not looking back, just going forward. I mean, we're all on these unique little journeys, but that sounds like a very helpful mentality as you as you uh, you know went about your life. It absolutely was. And I remember even being struck when we were in uh, looking at the Alps in Switzerland when I was about seven or eight years old and um, standing there looking at that. And I have I've never been back since to that area. And enjoying the view and having somebody next to us say, oh, that's nice, but it doesn't beat the, the green grass of Kentucky, which nothing against Kentucky and it's a beautiful place. But I remember being seven or eight years old looking over like, what is wrong with you? Enjoy where you're at right now. Don't I mean, you're going to be back to the States at any point here. You can go back to Kentucky and enjoy it. Look at this view. Look at this tremendous thing. And yet they weren't focused on that. They were focused looking backwards. Yeah, that's you're right. That's a really good uh, applic- application uh, of this of this mindset. So, Robert, um, seven years old, standing on the Alps. Like, what do you think you're going to be doing with your life? Did you have uh, an idea, or you're just like saying, "Oh no, I'm going to just live in the moment and see where the journey takes me." 
you know, it's interesting. I my first career aspirations, I'll, my number one was to be uh, to hang on the back of the garbage truck because I thought that looked like a lot of fun. Didn't understand the whole garbage doesn't smell good side of things. But uh, and then second of all was to be a detective. And I thought that was really compelling to me uh, at that, you know, in my early years. And it's interesting that my career has taken me to where a lot of what I do, whether it was in finance before I started consulting several years ago, is cleaning up messes and making things better. So there is an element of cleaning up garbage and figuring out and solving problems of being a detective. And uh, for a big dose of irony, I ended up also being the chief financial officer for Pinkerton Consulting and Investigations, the world's oldest detective agency, uh, later in my career. So elements of what I thought of early on came true, even though it wasn't, I'm going to work in business and this is what I'm going to do. Right. I mean, how serendipitous. I mean, I mean, I'm sure it was in a completely different capacity than than what you thought, not being being a detective, not the chief financial officer. But I mean, that's that's I think that's that's a pretty amazing coincidence, whatever you want to call it. Like, what do you what do you attribute that to? Uh, serendipity, Alex. I don't I because quite candidly, I was approached because Pinkerton is owned by another firm. I was approached by a recruiter without Pinkerton being named and went to the interview saying, Sure, I'll tell you, you know, it's the CFO for a division of a, of a big organization and didn't know it was Pinkerton. So it wasn't even a plan on my part. I'm not going to pretend like it was. When I found out during the interview, I thought, hmm, that's that's a little weird in a good way, a little odd, but I'll take it. So it was, and it was interesting to be able to work with the folks in those, and I've got um, business partners and people I work with from those days that I still work with today. Uh, including one over in Hong Kong that uh, we got to know each other well, and I got to help with the the operations. Although I wasn't a detective, I helped with acquisitions and helped with making sure we did things the right way, uh, and drew the right right line for what's proper in investigations and what isn't. So it was it was an interesting time in my life. It really was. Yeah, it sounds like it. All right, so Robert, I'm I'm curious now. Like, let's go a little. Let's go back from from that period and like sure. let's talk about college and your journey and you know what what kind of you know got you onto this uh onto the path fair enough um i actually i followed the advice uh i went to three high schools so my final high school uh was in texas and uh went with the major in something you're really interested in rule and that at that point even though i had been exposed to small businesses and working with entrepreneurs with my grandfather uh or having his own shoe store I've been exposed to it and worked in small businesses uh, through high school. I uh, majored in history and uh, realized while I was in school that I was more interested in business, but ended up graduating in three years and just carrying on versus go backwards and take longer in college and university. So I went into the business world with a history degree and uh, started working with an international franchise uh, company uh, in the... once I graduated and then went back to school for an MBA in finance and IT a few years later. Interesting. So what was the, was going to business school something you always wanted to do? Was that just an opportunistic thing? How, how did that fit? Well, opportunistic is a strong word, Alex. It was, um, I had found my way into being, you know, according to others, naturally gifted in finance 
And while I was working for the company, the person with the responsibility for it quit and said, if you're looking for somebody right now, give it to him. He knows more about this stuff naturally than anybody else. So I ended up taking the position as a director of finance with zero education in it, formal education, going to the library and checking books out and educating myself very rapidly in the world, and then worked in that field for several years, two or three years, and then realized at some point I need more formal education in this. I'm going to run out of runway here because I really have just been scrapping for everything I could get trying to learn it on the fly. So that's when I went and returned back to school. Right. And so was that MBA helpful for you on yes, your journey? It was. It was incredibly helpful. Uh, and also a professor that I fought with for a semester that said, no, you need to major, you know, you need to concentrate in IT. And I'm like, no, I need to concentrate in finance. And he finally, after fighting for a semester, said, no, you just need to do both. So doing both was very helpful and getting that tangible knowledge and the book knowledge but partnered with the the real life work experience was very valuable. Right. Yeah. That's what an MBA is, is all about. So interesting, Robert. So, okay. So what happens after business school for you? Do you go back to that job or do you, was it something else? Well, I worked full time while I was going to school. So I, I worked, I went to school at Auburn university in Alabama, but it had a, a very substantial remote program at the time in the late nineties that had been around since the mid eighties. So I, um, I was still continued to work at Compact Computer Corporation in Houston, and then post uh, the merger with Hewlett Packard, worked with uh, Hewlett Packard for two and a half, three years as their U.S. controller. Uh, so it enabled me to move up the ranks at Compaq and and HP that I could never have done without the degree, and uh, and learned a lot and got a lot of great experience during those years in Houston. Right. Interesting. Yeah, um, as you're bringing up these these old computer companies, it's reminding me of that the show I just watched on Netflix, Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, I was there. I was there at Compaq when we were still di digesting Digital Equipment Corporation in tandem, as acquisitions had been made and trying to sort through the dot com era, what was going on from investments that Compaq had made and all types of things like that. So it was a very interesting time. Yeah, that that sounds like a very interesting time. So. Um, Tell me what was next on the uh, on the career steps. Next was my uh, my boss that I'd worked for for several years at uh, Compaq and HP uh, left and became the CFO of a division of a company in New Jersey. Uh, technically headquartered in New York, but it was headquartered in New Jersey uh, with a number of staff. And he gave me a call and said, "I need you up here to help us. We're about to do a lot of growth and acquisitions, and I need your help." And so with some consideration and discussions. HP was a little bit slower paced for the growth opportunities that existed. Great company, great company, but a little slower paced than what I was looking for. Took the job up in New Jersey and ended up being there for 11 years of time with that company and then post that company with a couple others before moving into consulting. But it was within six months of joining the company, we'd acquired uh, Orbitz, the, the travel website, several other international website travel companies, and our division was all very much travel travel related, but it was really a computer company that was connecting the different um, different agencies, whether they were airlines, hotels, rental cars, with with people and travel agencies. Uh, so it was really a technology company that was masquerading as a travel company. 
So uh, worked with them for a number of years in a number of different roles. Great experience, including managing a team of 300 people in India in shared services. So that became uh, my first experience with India was with during the Hewlett Packard days. But then I got uh, I'm on my second 10 year visa to India, which is a wonderful place. And uh I've really enjoyed working with teams there and got that experience and then moved on to some other things after the company was uh, bought by private equity. And then we went through a lot of transformation and relocation type of efforts. So it became a logical point when you went down from 400 people in the office to I was one of the last 17 in the office in New Jersey that it was time to move on to to other things. Right. And that was the consulting Firm, right? I was initially it was ThyssenKrupp Elevator as a regional CFO and then Pinkerton. Uh, so I did a couple years of each of those, and then I moved into consulting. Right. And how is how is consulting? How how have you found that? Um, initially terrifying, Alex, because you're you're supposed to be. If I steal a phrase from, I believe it was from Mash, the pro from Dover, you're supposed to know everything, and. Um, the, initially, it was pretty scary because you're stepping out and you think you have the knowledge. And then over time, you realize that you do have a lot from all the experiences you've had in your life. And there's a a playbook, so to speak, of how to help clients. And you branch from initially it was work in finance because I felt very comfortable in that world. But over time and, and it was in but I began to work in public sector entities, which I never worked with before, like the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and uh, universities. And I also began to help with things in human resources areas and information technology and all sorts of different things that I'd never touched before really, other than using them as a service in companies. But the playbook worked to be able to listen and help the clients and focus on them. And uh, it's gotten me some really interesting experiences through the years. Yeah, I mean, well, you've you've had this, you know, incredible career of all these different experiences and places and companies. And so it's like, yeah, it gets to manifest itself in this consulting company where you get to be an expert and all sorts of different things. And yeah, but it's, it sounds like a cool culmination of all of your experiences. It has been. And I've also been able to give back some by working in the public sector world and also with smaller companies locally to where I live and help out with them, which is which sort of goes back to the roots of whether it was my grandfather's shoe store or working at a bike shop in southern Alabama and how you got that off the ground or with the franchise of helping them start up their new locations. It's sort of almost a return to the roots, and you, but using more skills and things that I've learned to help those small businesses, which is nice. Yeah, so Robert, it's that you, you said you have this this playbook now to, to, help, to help companies. Um, tell them, I'm interested, is that kind of along the lines of the book that you've written? It is. It, it, I had to find a way. I felt very compelled to, to write the book after a, a health incident back in 2018 where I was discovered I had a um, massive brain tumor uh, in my frontal lobe that had to uh, be removed that had been growing there for close to 30 years. So um, came out of that really, really well. Uh, is the short answer after a you know little trepidation and fear, but uh, there really was no choice except it had to go, it had to be removed. But wanted to like give back and offer ideas from these from my experiences, and it started off quite frankly as um, random stories from Robert, and I really couldn't find what glued it all together. And I spent about six months and didn't get far other than random stories, and then I came up with. 
and it was an interesting mix because the book title, uh, Don't Be Dumb, comes from some advice that my dad gave me as a teenager. Didn't make my mom terribly happy because she was looking for the Leave it to Beaver, something, something fancier or more robust than that. But it was good advice, not that I've always followed it, and it always stuck with me. But I also found that music was and songs were the key to be that glue in the book of different elements in the chapters of whether it was focused on human resources areas or rising more rapidly in your job, that I could take songs from popular you know, popular artists, artists over the last 50 plus years and use them as thematically to connect the different chapters in the playbook in the book. Very creative. Sounds, it's, it sounds so interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and mom being a music teacher, I think that's her, her, was her contribution was I'm sort of a mix of both the parents as most of us are. And I was able to sort of blend the things together and then it, it all clicked. It all worked at that point, other than just random stories that actually flowed, which is nice. It's called Don't Be Dumb. <laughs> I love the title. Tell, tell us who's it, uh, who's the market for this? What's the, what's, you know, and a, a little bit more of the, of like the subject content. Sure. Uh, the market is, is I, I hesitate to say everybody, so I'm not going to, you'd like to think it would be, but I think it's really two primary markets. One would be people earlier in their careers because it's focusing on overcoming obstacles, uh, taking different techniques, being creative, recovering from mistakes. How do you solve problems and, and recover rapidly? And how do you rise in an organization that you're in and uh, have some different tools and techniques that are capping off the chapters that help with it. And then it ends up being stories from my work experiences, but also blending in some, um, some family history stories of things that people in my family went through and how they overcame and solved problems. So interesting. And so when, when did the, the book come out? The book came out, uh, the middle of October, uh, of 2021. So it was October 14th was the date it officially launched. So, and we've gotten some good reviews so far. It's, it's very, uh, I had some good, um, you know, people that I've worked with for years that read it on the early side and gave good reviews, but we've also got a number of, of reviews subsequent on Amazon that are very positive, and uh, it made me very happy. I got a, a one from somebody that was an ex-client that said he had to stop reading it because he laughed so hard, and it didn't involve his, his team in the story, although I removed names to protect the innocent and the guilty. He laughed so much, and he said he had to put it down so he could focus on his day job and doing his doing his work. And then a, a, a boss that I had that was a CFO that was very influential and has some of his stories incorporated in wrote me an email in the middle of the night, downloaded the book, read it for five hours, wrote me an email in the middle of the night saying how true it was and how helpful it was. So that meant a lot. It was really, really very positive to hear. That's pretty amazing. Congratulations. And so I'd love to hear about how you found the process of, of, of writing this book now. You know, uh, the first part was painful, uh, like the first six months of just random stories, and I really didn't make it very far. Uh, once I figured out the outline of what I really wanted to say and that connective tissue, that glue, the bulk of the book was written in a week. It, and it flowed very, very quickly. I just basically locked myself in the basement and it just, you know, many hours a day, but it just worked. The biggest challenge next was editing it. So I went through a series of beta readers and getting their feedback 
and then also a professional editor looking at it. And because I wrote it so rapidly, it was more of how I speak versus how you should write. So getting it to a point that it was, it had the right tone to it and made sense took a number of months where the writing didn't take that long. I didn't find that painful at all once I figured out what my focus was. But the editing was painful. And then there was the process of getting like the cover designed getting all that ton and just getting through the publication process but it wasn't but that wasn't hideous it just took time and just focus of step by step doing what you need to do right so probably the editing was the most painful it was you almost reach a point where i don't want to read another word of what i've written anymore you reach sort of that phase that probably is the sign that it's time to get ready to publish it because i don't want to read it right i'd want to read it again now but at that time it was like i just want to get on with I've edited it, I've read 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 it. It's time to move on. Right. And and know there's probably some imperfections still left in it. I'm sure. And I, and I have a good colleague that pointed them out to me. And he even wrote <laughs> them up to me in an email. Here's the three things that are wrong in the book and told me what chapters they were in and what page. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah, one of, one of your accounting friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew I knew they were exactly. And I knew it was I knew they were in there. I knew they were. He And he was good enough to point them out to me, so – so cool. So Robert, tell us uh, what's next for you. Where do you go from here? Interesting. I, I have, um, I thought I was out of stories, but I, um, I've got a full outline of another book already written and parts of it written uh, that came to me over the course of the last few months. And I had to sort of stop thinking about it so I could get this book published first. And I also want, but interested in it and I've got more stories to tell, which is, which is fun. Uh, I also want to continue to promote this book. I want to do an audio version of it. I've had a lot of people tell me because it sounds like me, I should probably be the one recording the audio book versus somebody else. So we will see if that happens over Christmas time. Uh, if I can focus some time in the basement once more and uh, get that recorded. And I'm also thinking a workbook and continue to do some speaking engagements and workshops around the, the parameters of the book to help other people in, in small business or people early in their careers. Awesome. So Robert, I'll get you out of here on this. We always end with, you know, a piece of advice and you can take this from your career, from the book, you know, wherever you want to draw it from. But, um, you know, for someone that's early in their career trying to, you know, carve out their place in the world, um, you know, do you have any, um, sayings you know follow your passion you know uh, don't don't be uh, don't be dumb obviously but um you know any, anything that, that jumps to mind for uh, for someone like that well uh one that comes to me and i once again i have to give credit to my dad but it was uh if you leave late it just gets later and later that he would use that for road trips but i think it applies in business also of you know you're not going to be perfect at everything you can't get it all planned out and make sure nothing goes wrong but the longer you take planning, it's time that you're not doing and improving and keep making it better as you go forward. So if you leave late, it just gets later and later. Just get moving and then figure it out over time is uh, pretty solid advice. Yeah, I mean, that's the Entrepreneur 101. All right, well, Robert, this was so much fun speaking with you, hearing your story, hearing about the book. Um, I assume people can find the book on Amazon and you know all those, all those places where people get books. They can, and I even used... Uh... 
even used Auburn colors on the front cover. So, uh, <laughs> well, this is this is just audio, so no one will be able to see okay. that. But it's it's orange right, and blue. So, <laughs> orange and blue, like Auburn. Uh, although we haven't had a great year, but yeah, it's right there on Amazon. It's available on hardback and paperback, and uh, and a digital download, and soon to be audio. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you again, Robert. Great speaking with you. Great speaking with you, Alex. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. 